0: How many of you have fond memories of Christmas time? As kids, I remember as a child, me and my sister, we would just get beside ourselves waiting for Santa to come until I think I was 12 years old. I'm almost ashamed to admit this. But my mother told me there was, I came home one day and she was wrapping presents on the dining room table. I said, what are you doing? She said, "Bubba, it's time you learned there is no Santa Claus. <laughs> I thought to myself, and I bet there ain't no Easter Bunny either, you know. But Daddy would dramatize it, man. He would set up the tree and the lights, and he'd hang a sheet in between the hall entrance going down to the our bedroom and he'd put a blue light or something like that, colored light. And we'd set out milk and cookies for, you know, Santa. And then we wait till the next morning. We'd get up for Christmas. Well I just was imagining Santa as all the stories you've get told, you know. And I couldn't sleep and I thought, surely I heard Santa's sleigh and the reindeer on the roof. I heard him coming down the chimney. And that was even more of a miracle because we didn't have a chimney. <laughs> so he was coming from somewhere. And uh, we had a wonderful family. And it was this, of course, was in the 50s. and We were, um, you know, all called. We'd go our, our big thing for Christmas was to go down to the state capitol and see the manger scene because it was right on the front steps of the Capitol back in those days. And we would go up there, and that was our, our Christmas uh, entertainment, was to go visit. the. And it, believe it or not, it, that manger scene is still there if you want to go and take kids or grandkids. But it's off to the side. Uh, but it's, it's over there by the Vietnam Memorial. But it's not sponsored by the state anymore, because of separation of church and state, but it's a private uh, showing. Somebody bought all the, uh, the uh, mannequins and the animals and all, they put it up, and you can still go by there and, and see it. We'd go downtown shopping on Main Street, and we'd walk by, and the, uh, the windows would all be decorated for uh, Christmas. And it was just a real, it's a wonderful life uh, time. <clears throat> then you go in the department store and if you wanted to go up to any different floor, you get on the elevator and there was an elevator operator. There was a gentleman in there, he was dressed in a suit, sometime wore a uniform. you tell him what floor you wanted to and he'd take you up to the uh, sporting goods or it was Pfeiffer's Department Store or M.M. Cohn's and I think those were the only two buildings down there that had more than one floor. But it was, a, it was a different time of the year. And, of course, when I got saved, uh, Christmas took on a whole other meaning. And I began to get the revelation of why the incarnation, who Jesus was, and uh, now it's even more special. So, if you'll open your Bibles tonight to Matthew 24, I'm not going to talk about Christmas at all. <laughs> I just I can't seem to get out of Matthew 24 So I want to read to you again, beginning with verse 3. Jesus sat upon the Mount of Olives. The disciples came unto Him privately saying, Tell us, when shall these things be? What shall be the sign of your coming and of the end of the world? And Jesus answered and said said unto them, Now this is what I'm going to share with you tonight. Take heed that no man deceive you. Can we all read that together? Take, Take heed that, that no man. man say it again. Take, Take heed that, that no man deceive you. you. Now, let me give you the definition of what it means uh, to deceive it means to cause to accept as true what is false. To cause to accept um, what, uh, accept as true what is false. It means to go astray. It means to err. It means to be seduced. It means to wander. So when you talk about what Jesus said, he said, don't let any man see to it. It's an action. You have to do this yourself. See to it that no man deceive you. Now you have to be cautious that you don't get skeptical or contentious or or in doubt and unbelief. But he at least challenged them and us uh, to make sure that no man uh, deceives us. Now go over to Galatians chapter 6 and let's read another reference uh, to deception. Galatians chapter 6 and let's look at verse 7. Let him that is taught in the word communicate unto him that teacheth in all good things. Be not deceived God is not mocked for whatsoever a man soweth that shall he also reap. So here's an area that he admonished the church, Paul did and he said, uh, don't don't forget. Don't don't be deceived. God is not mocked. Whatever you sow, is what you will reap. And so, when you're challenged uh, financially or physically, don't be deceived. God is not mocked. God is never mocked. Uh, go to 2 Thessalonians, and let's look at chapter two. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and let's look at verse 3. We've read this before but for different reasons. Uh, But tonight if I can find it here. There it is. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and let's look at verse 3. Let no man deceive you by any means, for that day, now he's talking about the second coming, the day of Christ, that day shall not come except there come a falling away first, and that the man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition, who opposes and exalteth himself above all that is called God or that is worshiped so that he as god sits in the temple of god showing himself that he is god this is what satan has always wanted he's always wanted to be god and he is going to get his chance during the tribulation period after the rapture he is going to be able to sit in the temple of god and try to get everybody to believe that he is god <clears throat> there'll be such a strong um spirit of deception that many people will be deceived and they will believe everything that the Antichrist uh, particularly tells uh, them. They'll believe in him. He will be the Antichrist, but they will think he is the Christ. He will be showing himself uh, as God and they will be deceived. Uh, If you've ever been deceived, you probably, when you found out you were deceived, you probably want to slap yourself. You want to say, why have you been so stupid? Why have you been so dumb? Uh, why have you been so naive or easily deceived? And you know, you you could make a list. I was listening to Derek Prince today, and he was talking about all the ways that open you to deception. And of course, at the top of the list is pride. Pride goes before a fall. It It's it's, it's shaming, it's condemning when you realize that you have been suckered into something and you've been deceived because of your pride. And most of this happens where money is concerned. Uh, it's, it's a bait. It, it, it tempts people. Oh, you're going to get something for nothing. Uh, years ago, <clears throat> Charles Kaps and I were up at his, actually his house up on uh, Diamond Bluff. Towards Heber Springs, and he, we were in the because he bought a whole mountain and he chopped it up and sold lots, and we were in the sales house that he had converted into a guest house. We were sitting there at the kitchen table, and it looked like, oh, it looked like a hubcap to me. It was looked like an inverted uh, hubcap, and right inside the hubcap was a little pig, a little piglet. just like a toy, a play toy that a child would play with. This little piglet was right in there. And Charles and I are sitting there. He said, Happy, if you can reach in there and get that little piglet and pull it out, he said, I'll give you $100. And I, I didn't know what he was doing. I thought he was kidding me. He pulled a $100 bill. He slapped it on the table and he said, now, if you can reach in that Bowl and get that little piglet out of there. He said, "I'll give you a hundred dollars. Here it is." I looked at him. And of course, Charles and I had known each other for years. We've talked together, hunted and fished together, traveled together. I just looked at him like, "Okay, he's 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 gonna. This is a trick. This is something that he's gonna, you know, try to pull over on me." But I bit. I just said, "Okay." I reached down and grabbed what looked like a little toy piglet, you know, Porky in the in cartoons? That's what he looked like, stand there, and I reached down, there was nothing there. I, I looked again, there's nothing there. I mean, you could look at it and it looked like a little pig, but there was nothing there. <coughs> it's what they later developed. Now, some of you scientific people may have to help me here a hologram. It looked like a pig. You could do it with anything. You could do it with a matchstick. You could do it with a deck of cards. You could do it with anything. But he had done it with a pig. It's a hologram. There was nothing there, but it looked like there was something there. And so he told me uh, how he found this and he said, there's a company that is entering into this uh, Phase and Sony was interested in it and Hollywood was interested in it because you can imagine how they could use it to make movies and pictures. Well, today, that same technique and that same scientific knowledge is called AI, artificial intelligence. Well, Charles said, I'll tell you what now. He said, now, don't invest in this if you don't have the money. But he said, I've invested a lot of money in this. And he said, and here's how you do it. And if you want to invest, here's what you have to invest uh, to get a uh, payback on your investment. And it was considerable. I mean, if it had materialized the way that the prospectus said and all the people that he had dealt with, we'd all have been millionaires several times over. But today, that stock, it doesn't even show up on the exchange. It's called 3D Icon. Now you, some of you might go home and look it up. 3D Icon, it's zero. <laughs> I mean, it's zilch, nothing. So we both lost all our money. And so I thought, why did I do that? Same reason people go to the racetrack. Same reason they go to the casino. By the way, did you know that the, this casino that you see advertised on television all the time, Saracen, You've seen that Saracen down in Pamela? Did you know that's a Muslim word? That's Islam. It's Islamic for a warrior. And the people don't know that, of course. They don't. But you you invest in something. Now, I'm talking about a legal investment. You invest in something to, to receive, to make money, to invest. There's nothing wrong with that. The Bible, Jesus got all over the steward that put his money, so-called, under the mattress. He said, you should at least put it in the bank for interest. So it's it's biblical to be a good businessman. But to get something for nothing, (laughs) that's not good business. That's being deceived. And today, we live in a culture, whoo, you could hardly take a breath without. The other day, I was uh, I'd forgotten where I was or what I was doing, but I had my phone dinged, and so I picked it up, and I had a text message from one, one of the local banks here, and it said, your account has been suspended. Click on this. And I thought, no, I'm not going to click on that. It was a Saturday. If I'd have just thought a little bit longer, I'd have thought, you know, my bank's not even open today. Yeah. But they said, your your account has been suspended. But I tell you what, I sure wanted to click on it. I really wanted to, but I thought, you know, I know better. Yeah. I got more sense. Yeah. I, I thought I had more sense. And so I waited till Monday. Now, I did try to call our um, accounting lady to see if it was a business account or a <laughs> personal account. Could she help me out? But she didn't answer her phone. She didn't return her voicemail. So I just thought, I'll just wait till Monday. So Monday, I called the bank. And after sitting and waiting and going through their menu for about 30 minutes, I finally got to talk to a human being. And I, I told her what had happened to me. And she said, oh, you were so smart not to click on that. She said, that's a scam. So when you click on it, they got you. It's like a hook in the jaw. Wow. They got all your information. They can get into your account, etc. Well, that was a blatant deception. But Jesus is talking about spiritual deception. He's talking about something that is really more dangerous. He's talking about uh, going astray, away from the doctrine of Christ, away from the Word of God. You know, there's a scripture, let's see if I can find it real quick, it's not very far away. Over in uh, Timothy, I think it says, no, it's not Timothy. Uh, I think it's, anyway, rather than waste your time. It ta- he, uh, John is, uh, he's actually warning Timothy, uh, the Apostle Paul, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry, Apostle Paul is warning Timothy that in the last days there will be false teachers, false apostles. And it said they will take those that are given to folly and turn them into fables, fairy trail, fairy tales. They will teach things that are not biblical. And, and I don't know about you, but you, we've probably all seen that or maybe experienced it sometime or another. Years ago there were uh, people that were saying that uh, Mary, the mother of Jesus, was out in the desert, out in Nevada, and she was teaching people. Mary's dead. She wasn't out in the desert anywhere teaching anybody. Um, And then there were those that said, uh, well, we're going to start an intercessory prayer team And we're going to go up into 30 and 64 buildings so we can be closer to the heavens. And we're going to do intercessory prayer warfare. And Brother Hagin very seldom ever contended with things, but there were a few times that he did. And this is one time that he did, the intercessory uh, (laughs) debacle. He said, you know, poor Jesus, he didn't know. He said in the Bible, Jesus said, where any two of you shall agree on earth. He said, Jesus never got off the earth. You don't have to be in a 30-store building. There were people that were renting jet airplanes to fly around the atmosphere because they could be up there where the demons are, and they could do intercessory prayer and warfare. That's deception. And these things, uh, they distract people from the main thing. The main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing. (laughs) And these deceptions. Well, now we've got similar deceptions going on now. We've got differences of opinions. Um, I won't even go into them. Uh, Maybe some of you believe in, some, some of you don't. But to be deceived, Jesus said, is to cause to accept as true something that is false. Going astray. Error. Error. Be seduced. Wander. God's not mocked. Don't be deceived. And uh, uh, let me say this. When he says, see to it, I wrote this down. Don't let iniquity allow your love to wax cold. I want to say this again because we're going to read about it over in Revelation. Don't let iniquity, a lot of iniquity going around, lawlessness. There's a lot of iniquity, wickedness, a lot of that going around. Don't allow your love to wax cold because your faith works and is energized by love. If you lose your love or take a step out of love, your faith won't work. Don't allow imaginations to exaggerate (laughs) every bit of civil commotion. We've got a lot of civil commotion going on around today. Don't let every uh, incident that takes place, no matter how spiritual it sounds, as I was listening to um, uh, the the message that um, I was listening to this afternoon about not being deceived. There were, you know, how how if you go online and you're listening to someone that's maybe on YouTube or whatever, on the right hand side, it's got all of these other topics, and they were listing uh, how to not be deceived or uh, how to um, uh, test the spirits and how to keep abreast of of uh, things that you know you might be challenged with. Don't listen to false prophets. And uh, this one particular guy that I highly respect, he's in heaven today. He's a a great orator and a great preacher. And he was saying that he knew a friend who knew somebody that uh, knew somebody, you know how that goes, that knew somebody that said that this particular minister that he knew, and I I knew of the minister, said he... um, he had two spirits. I thought, well, two spirits. said, yeah, he had a genuine spirit, the Holy Spirit, that was legitimate. But then he had another spirit that was false. And this particular guy that they were referring to was known as a, quote, prophet of God back in the 40s and 50s. And he had certain conditions that had to be met before he would go out to minister. And he got all of his instructions from an angel. And the problem was, if the angel didn't show up, he didn't have any ministry. He didn't know what to do. And then the angels started not showing up. And that's where a familiar spirit came in and imitated the angel. And he began to be deceived by listening to the familiar spirit. And the whole point of this man's story was, he said, sadly, and I've seen these people. We used to rent a hotel in Tulsa to have our ministerial convention years ago. And in the same hotel, uh, his followers, they are still following him, the guy that got off. They are still following him, and it's, it's a cult following because they have made him uh, the total object of their faith and their uh, commitment." So this deceiving spirit is continuing today to deceive people. And don't let the iniquity or the wickedness uh, allow your love to wax cold. Don't allow imaginations to exaggerate every bit of civil commotion. You know, I I listen to these uh, sometimes political hacks. Uh, I don't pay attention to conspiracy theories, but you listen to people that seemingly know what they're talking about when they're talking about politics and the elections and the candidates and so forth. I don't pay much attention to them because I would rather follow the scriptures and make sure that I'm following uh, the Bible and the Word of God. I don't have to follow a party or uh, a people group. And uh, there are all kinds of predictions out there. If you live your life according to those predictions, politically, even financially, mentally, uh, physically, you're going to get off. And Satan doesn't really show himself to you and say, boo, I'm the devil. He comes around the backside and he deceives you. And he puts false doctrines or false imaginations in your, in your head, in your, in your ear, to get you to believe the wrong thing. Jeannie and I, when we first started out in the ministry, boy, I, I, I can't speak for her, but I, I would tend to just, I, I didn't believe everything, but there were a lot of things that I believed that I didn't know how to verify. I didn't know how to check out in the Word. And so I would pray and ask the Holy Spirit. And He always showed me the truth. He always showed me the error and how to, to figure it out. And, you know, the Bible says in John, if you want to go over there and, and and read that, you probably already have it marked. In John chapter 8, this is Jesus speaking. John chapter 8, and he says in verse 32, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Amen. You will be free from deception and error if you know the truth. Amen. How many of you have heard things taught or heard things said that just didn't fit in your spirit? Yeah, it, it just didn't click? It, you thought, oh, I want, I want a respect to that person or to that individual, but I don't know what I think about that. I was listening to a friend of mine, this was years ago, and he was talking about how that when God created Adam, he reproduced himself. And you know, I thought, you know, that sounds, it sounds right. When God created Adam, he reproduced himself. And the more I thought about it, the more I thought about it, I thought, that's not right. (laughs) The Mormons call Adam, Adam God, but Adam was not God. He was made in the image and likeness of God. He was a spirit being Primarily made that way so he could fellowship with God, spirit to spirit. But he wasn't God. There's only one incarnate man in the Bible. And his name is Jesus. He is God. (laughs) He is God incarnate. He is God in the flesh. And these are little nitpicking things if you want to call them that. But. Nevertheless, it has to do with bears witness with not being deceived. And I, I hear this all the time. I heard it today when I was watching our own network. There was this guy on there saying, you know, you need to get saved and, and you can go to heaven and you'll spend eternity in heaven. No, that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says you'll spend eternity with Jesus. But it doesn't say you'll spend eternity in heaven. I mean, think about it. Don't say amen too quick. I might, you know, miss it. But the Bible doesn't tell us we're going to spend eternity in heaven. It says we're going to spend eternity with Jesus. Jesus is in heaven right now. Heaven's real. Jesus is real. But we're not going to spend eternity in heaven. We're going to be there seven years. And then we're going to come back. Hello. So, When the rapture takes place, have your unbelieving neighbor go nail a sign in your yard. I will return. House is not for sale. I'm going to need it back in seven years. (laughs) Oh Lord. Did I ever tell you all my story about how we and like I say, I was young and I was full of faith and not much wisdom but the first house that we built when we got married, I paid for with my uh, GI loan. I used my GI loan, and it had no money down. The house was $23,500, $24,000. 24, $24, and uh, we built it, <coughs> lived in it for years, and then we uh, built a second house. But we didn't have the money to pay for the second house until the first house sold. And they changed the real estate laws, I think, if I'm not mistaken, during that time period. And the deal was, and we made a deal with our contractor, told the contractor we didn't have the money. And the house, the house was half built. But he said, you could get into it now. You can pick out the wallpaper, the paint, or whatever. And I said, well, I, 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 we want this house. Okay. We signed a contract. We paid him all the money that we had at the time, but we were still waiting for that other house to sell. So we went along. You know, he told me, he said, you know, you're aware that if any real estate agent comes by and shows this house, we have to sell it if if they have the money, even though you've signed a contract for it. I said, that's not right. He said, I know, but that's the way it is. Anybody could bid on that house, even though, You've signed a contract because you hadn't paid for it yet. You don't have the earnest money. So I went over to the old house, and I started talking to it. And I told it to sell. I said, you sell now because I need the money. And then I went over to the house we were building, and I noticed that they had tacked a for sale sign up on the tree in the front yard. I thought, how can they do that? That's my house. They can't sell my house. And the real estate agent said, yeah, they can. If somebody comes along and wants to buy it and got the money. So I took the sign off the tree and threw it in the woods. (laughs) I wouldn't advise that. But I didn't know any better. I claim ignorance. So I went back over to the old house, and I kept talking to it and telling it to sell, 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 sell. And I drive by the the new house, and they had put the uh, for sale sign back up there. So I went over and pulled it off the tree and threw it in the woods again, second time. <laughs> and then the contractor told me, said, you know, somebody came by and looked at this house the other day. I said, they did? He, he said, yeah, they wanted to know. He saw, they saw that the house was already half built. They wanted to know if I was building the house for somebody. And I said, yes, I am. And said, who are you building it for? He said, well, I'm building it for uh, uh, Pastor and Mrs. Caldwell. And the guy said, Oh, well I don't want their house. He turned around, and walked off. It, it worked. <laughs> but God was honoring my faith, uh, you know, even though I shouldn't have done that. But don't be deceived. Okay. Uh, let's go over to uh Revelation chapter 2. Real quick. I, I just want to I want to emphasize something that uh, we could just leave alone. We just we could just, you know, not bother with it. But I made the statement: Don't let the iniquity, the wickedness, the corruption that's going on in the culture allow your love to wax cold. You might not think that's important, or that it has nothing to do with being deceived, but it does. Brother Hagen said one time he had a. I don't know whether it was a headache or a sickness or something that came on him one time. He was in a meeting, doing a a meeting, and he was in his hotel room praying, and all of a sudden he just didn't feel right. And he said, Lord, what is this? He said, I don't ever get sick. I never have any problems like that. But he said, I just don't feel right. What's wrong? And the Lord said, you've taken a step out of love, and you missed it. And he said, Satan has come to see if he can enter in where you took a step out of love. Brother Hagin said it didn't take him long. He hit the floor on his knees and started repenting asked God to forgive him. He repented of taking a step out of love, and he said immediately he felt better. Walking in love is, is a requirement for us as believers. So don't allow what's going on around you uh, to let your love wax cold. Let's look at Revelation 2, beginning with verse 1. Until the angel of the church of Ephesus write, these things saith he that holdeth the seven stars in his right hand, who walks in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. And he tells you who, who, what that represents in verse 20 of the previous chapter. Uh, he said, I know your works and your labor and your patience. And how you cannot bear them with your evil. And you know there's enough evil going around all over the place. Uh, And again, this is not to be critical or judgmental, but many of you know that uh, just a week or so ago Norman Lear died, and he was the producer and founder and innovator of all of the uh, '60s television programs, and literally. Well, let me, let me say it this way. In the 50s, when television first came out, they had very little programming. Here in Little Rock or in Arkansas, they only had one station. And Channel 7 was the initial station. And uh, it wasn't even on 24 hours. It was only on from 6 in the morning till 6 at night. No, 6 o'clock at night, I think they had the news and the Venable Quartet, and you know it was not much programming. Well, then programming began to be developed, and in the fifties we had "Leave It to Beaver," "Ozzy and Harriet," um, "My Three Sons," "Make Room for Daddy," um, "What Was Father Knows Best." Those were all wholesome family shows. Even Dick Van Dyke and his wife. Slept in separate beds. Are you all following me? It was a different culture, different era, whatever. Then come the 60s. And then you have all in the family, Archer, Archie Booker. You have Sanford's Son. You have, uh, by the way, they interviewed uh, DeMond Wilson uh, the other night. Uh, but it, you may not know DeMond Wilson is a minister today. And uh, he, he didn't have very many good things to say about Norman Lear. Because he said I really didn't know the man. He said I was always already doing other broadcasts, uh, TV when he came came along. Then you had all those sixty shows. Oh my lord, I can't even. I I I didn't watch them, so I don't know what they were. But they showed them all. Um, Maud. Um, help me out, somebody. No, not not Mash. Yeah, the Jeffersons. Um all in the family all in the family, good times. what good times, yeah, now, you stop and think now this this is not a criticism. You stop and think what happened to the family yeah. as a result of all of that liberalism, and Norman Lear, in an interview, said he said, well i I just wanted to show the family as it really was. How many people do you think got deceived into believing that what they saw on television was the real family, that that's the way it really was? <laughs> now, you've got to understand television is a powerful medium, and it can change a, an entire culture, an entire generation. There were people that were being deceived in thinking this is real family. And they imitated that. They imitated it at home. Hello, are yes. you there? Yes, you may not may not agree with them, but if you think about it, there were a lot of things. I remember I saw an interview, it was an early morning interview on one of those talk shows. And this was ooh, 10, 15 years ago, I guess. And they were interviewing Tom Selleck that used to play... Um, Magnum PI, thank you, sir. And uh, they were talking about the new reality programs that were coming on television. And he said, Well, I, if you'd allow me, I, he said, I, have, I just have one thing that I'd like to say to the audience. And he turned and looked at the camera about the reality programs. He said, There's not one thing on those reality shows that's real, it's all phony. It's all, it's all geared to change, and, and Mike Huckabee said this when he was running for president. He was talking about a term, managing expectations. Managing expectations is a political uh, term used to describe you tell people what you want them to believe. You tell them what you want them to hear, and they will reproduce it. Hello? Hello? <laughs> My little grandson, I say my little grandson. My sister's son. So he, he is my grandson. No, he's my nephew. Yes. I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, as your family grows and you get different generations, you have a hard time keeping up with who's what. <clears throat> so my sister's son, my nephew, uh, he, is a, he is an ER doctor in Baptist Hospital in North Little Rock. And when he was a little boy, he was probably what four years old we were coming out of grandma's house been over there having dinner or something and he was out in the front yard and he had a stick and there was a pine cone and he had that stick and he was make like he was playing golf and he would take that go- that stick and he'd hit that pine cone pine cone, and he'd holler out, zombie! Nobody knew what he was saying. Couldn't understand him. And he'd get that stick, and he'd hit that pine cone again, and he'd say, zombie! And nobody knew what in the world he was saying. He had gone to the golf course with his father, and he had watched him play golf. And I don't need to tell you anymore. more. <laughs> He thought that was a normal response to playing golf. <laughs> oh, boy. Uh, enough of the stories. Let's keep reading. Revelation chapter 2. <laughs> it's a good thing that we didn't know what he was saying. I, I noticed his dad and his mama kind of wandered off. But if if the grandparents knew what he was saying, uh, he'd have been in trouble. <laughs> Okay, Revelation 2, and uh, we were down to verse 2. I know your works, your labor, your patience, how you cannot bear them which are evil. You've tried them which say they're apostles and are not, and have found them liars, and have borne and had patience, and for my name's sake you've labored and have not fainted. He was commending them. Everything that they had done there, he was commending them. This is the church at Ephesus. Ephesus. Nevertheless, say nevertheless. Nevertheless, Nevertheless, I have somewhat against you because you have left your first love. Didn't say they lost it. It said they left it. Now, if you do a little digging around in a word study, you'll find out that, to paraphrase it, he was saying, you have left your love the first one. You've left your first love. You've left your love the first one. Well, who was your first love? Jesus. That's what He's referring to. You've you've left me. You've left love your first love. And He said, um, remember therefore from whence you are fallen, and He calls it fallen, and repent and do the first works. What I called you to do, what I called you to be. Or else I will come unto you quickly and will remove your candlestick out of his place, except you repent. Whew! Don't be deceived. Don't let the iniquity, the wickedness that's going on in our culture today, Allow your love to wax cold because if you co- are constantly bombarded with everything that's going on on television, radio, in in the culture. I mean, you can hardly turn the TV on set, a TV on TV set on anymore without seeing a drive-by shooting or killing a murderer. Or whatever. And if you're not covered, you'll hear yourself saying, "Oh, what in the world's the world coming to? What's the world coming to?" Well, if you keep on reading the Bible, you'll find out that it's all going to come to Jesus because every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord, eventually. But you start getting fearful and angry. I sent a i won't I won't tell you everything that I said, but I sent an email uh, last week to all six of Arkansas's congressional representatives all six of them. I've done this before, but I really felt so strongly that things that they have uh, misunderstood, misinterpreted, maybe they need some help. And, and I know every one of them, because I've been going up there every year with CUFI, Christians United for Israel, for 16 years. So And I signed my name to it. And I wanted to say, don't send me a form letter. I want I want to hear from you. But I let them know in so many terms, so many so many words, they have not done the right thing uh, where Israel is concerned, where Hamas is concerned, uh, where that uh, war is going on over there and, and what's coming out of the White House. They're responsible, but they're not doing anything. And they can't even run their own house. They can't even, you know, and I, and I don't want to go all into that, but you have different opinions, and you're entitled to. But I let them know, hey, if I represent a portion of the people in Arkansas, the, the state that you serve, we're not happy. We're not happy with you. You can't make up your mind. You can't do this. You can't get this done. You can't, you can't, you can't even run your own house, the, uh, Congress. You can't even run your own uh, house. And, and I told them from a biblical perspective uh, what was going on with this uh, Israel-Hamas war and what they needed to do and what they didn't need to do. Amen. And then I, I heard on some some news program that they had changed their mind on an issue as, as late as uh, uh, Friday or Saturday. So I don't know whether they got my message or whether they heard from a lot more people. Uh, but you need to let them know, you're, you're, they're they're representing you, right. uh, you know, and and that war over there is, it's contentious. Everybody's got a different opinion. What about all the innocent people that are being killed? Well, in war, innocent people die. It's it's not the objective, and we know because we work with Israel. I know that the uh, IDF, uh, Israeli Defense Force, I know. That they are not trying to kill uh, innocent people they are they are trying to rid themselves of of terrorists and keep in mind that the terrorists the, the Palestinians how would you say this they uh, voted or they accepted uh, Hamas's rule over them and I heard just the other day the Source was revealing some things that had not been revealed. They found out now, some Israeli medics or doctors or whatever found out that these terrorists that committed these unconscionable acts of horror and brutality and all that, that they took drugs before this attack to hype themselves up to do things that were animalistic, that were seducing, that were uh, demonic. It wasn't. It wasn't natural. It was as a result of induced drugs, and of course, you know, you hear the. And I, I don't mean to get on my political soapbox here, because every president has done this, as far as I can remember back. Uh, you hear the president said, "We want a two-state ta- two solution to solve this problem." You, there will never be a two-state solution in Israel uh, with uh, the Palestinians or the Iranians, or anybody else that matter. In Genesis 16, it says Ishmael, who is the uh, the descendant, all of the Arab descendants came from Ishmael, and it says he is a wild man. Every hand will be against him, and he will be against everybody. The promise was not made to Ishmael. The promise was made to Isaac. And you will never see a two-state solution because the Hamas and Palestinians, the PLO, have publicly said, we do not want a two-state solution. We are not accepting a two-state solution. We want Israel gone. We want Israel dead. We want the nation off the earth. <laughs> yeah, right. So how, how, you can, how can you work with people like that? How can, how can you work with people that hate you? with a passion. And, you know, just because you were born a particular race or color or creed just because you were born on the wrong side of the tracks or whatever, how, how can you... I was filling out an application one time. This was years ago. And uh, it had their... Uh, I, I don't know. I hadn't filled out an application for anything for so long. I don't know if it's still listed this way. But you had to put down your race. Yeah. Yeah. And so I put down... Um, I, I jokingly thought Human human race. But then I had to put down a Caucasian because that's what I've always put down. And the Lord spoke to me and said, do you know what Caucasian means? I said, no. He said, go look it up. So I did. I looked it up. And they had a picture of this Caucasian man from Morocco, North Africa. He was dark-skinned and had a turban around his head. That's what caush, caush, Caucasian means. I mean, a lot of people are confused about their own identity. They don't know who they are. And I had a lady in their church years ago, a black lady come up to make an appointment to see me. She said, I just wanted you to know I've hated you. I said, well, that's, that's nice. Why have you hated me? She said, because you're white. I said, ma'am, I didn't have a thing to do with that. I, I have no defense for that. I have no apology. There's nothing I can do about it. She said, oh, I don't hate you now. She said, uh, but I did when I started coming to the church. She said, but since then, I've experienced the love of God. And he, and she said, I'm completely and totally different. But she said, I'd like to tell you why. She said, when I was a little girl, the Ku Klux Klan used to come by and throw rocks through our house and burn crosses in our yard and shoot at us. And she said, that's why I hate you. Hated you. But, you know, I I wanted to say, I'm not the man, you know. But a lot of people make decisions based on experience. Make your decision based on the Word of God. And that's what you should do with everything that's going on around here. I'm talking about the world. And in our own cities. In our own state. Mm. I think I'm uh, I think I'm about through. I think I need to close here. Uh, but I want to go back to this second chapter of Revelation. This is so important. Jesus said, "Because you've left your first love, because you've left your love, the first one." Hallelujah. And and I and I'll close with this. The other side uh, of this. I was. Uh, what was that day we went to? To Walmart was that Friday. Anyway, and um, I was coming out of the of the Walmart, and I had uh, a sack, and there was hardly anybody in there, and there was this black lady standing there by the door, and I walked by. And she looked at me and she said, now you've been my spiritual father for all these years. You've taught me everything that I know. You're just going to walk by me and not speak. I said, "Uh, who are you? I don't know you. She said, my name. And she told me her name. She said, Pastor Caldwell. She said, I learned everything that I know today going to your church. You're my spiritual father. You've taught me all these things. She said, and, and, and just uh, when I saw you, I thought, surely he's going to come over here and talk to me and shake my hand. So when she told me her name, I said, darling, let me shake your hand. Let me hug your neck. I thank you. But, you know, you don't hear that enough. You don't know how many people's lives have been changed, not because of you, but because of this word. And you start teaching that word and people learn. And it saves their life because they don't they don't get deceived. And you know, that's the whole thing that Jesus was trying to get across to his disciples. And I told this lady, I said, Now, next time I see you, I'll remember you. And I remember your name. She just grinned. She said, To show you what it has done to me, she said, I'm a missionary and I go to Africa and I preach what you've taught me to all the people that I am overseeing in that nation. Hallelujah. Glory to God. So walk in love. Don't be deceived. And if you keep walking in love, you won't be deceived. Because Jesus said, see to it. You see to it. Let's everybody stand. Oh, Father, I thank you for the opportunity here tonight to minister to these folks. Thank you, Father, for illuminating your word to them, ministering to them in their spirit, their minds, renewing their minds, building them up on your most holy faith. Thank you, Father, for giving them the word. And I say over them that they will not be deceived, that the Holy Spirit is the spirit of truth. He's the teacher, the helper, the, the comforter, one alongside with And he's going to reveal the truth to them for their families, their communities, their friends. And I thank you for the opportunity. And I pray your blessing upon this body of believers. In Jesus' mighty name. And everybody said amen. Amen. Thank you all for coming tonight. Turn and tell somebody I'm glad you came to church tonight.